0: Glad you're here, and uh, I uh, began a, a week ago talking about um, the Beatitudes, and I looked at it from a standpoint of maintaining a Christian life, and I know these are the words of Jesus. The Holy Ghost was not yet poured out. I I understand, but the teachings of Jesus were recorded, I believe, and it shows a progression about being blessed, and I, 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 I um, talked about uh, how when you, you have to have one sort of beatitude, one level to build on another level, and, and they start off with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. Then it goes on to say, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst, on and on. Uh, Another way of looking at that is uh, as a seed. And a seed begins and it first puts down a root. And then that root begins to spread forth into other roots and then it kind of pushes that seed pot up and it has what we call a, a, a shoot. So while I know there's a seed code and sometimes people are hard and they they have a the word falls and it, it you know it's uh, hard to take root. And the Bible, Jesus talked about a parable of the soil types and all of those things and then spreading out until hopefully, at some point, uh, fruit will come to pass. And we looked at what the first one was, the first root, if you will, the tap root, that main root is to be poor in spirit, is to have an attitude of humility and when you have that there were several of the blessings that happen right now because you it changes your attitude you don't have an attitude of god owes me everybody ought to be so grateful that i'm here and, and you know you ought to be thankful that it changes your whole outlook when you begin with a spirit of humility when you believe that somehow God owes me, or the church owes me, or somebody else owes me, then you have, it's hard for you to ever be fruitful, because you have to first have an attitude of humility. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your presence. If you come into the house of the Lord, and you think, my life is good, I don't need anything, I, I, am you know, I'm here, basically, you know, just, uh, Uh, to do my duty, and uh, that way, you know, uh, I can say, well, I went this week. You've missed the point. You've missed it. Because if you don't have an attitude of humility, I need God. Ultimately, you'll never produce fruit. If you don't have that kind of first root. And so then we went on to talk about the next beatitude, was blessed are they that mourn. And that, we talked about it, meaning taking ownership. Mourning means not, not natural mourning, not sinful mourning, but spiritual or godly mourning. When, and, and I explained that. I looked at Ahab. I looked at uh, Saul. I looked at Judas. And we went through on Sunday morning, we began to talk about Uh, several of these uh, Bible characters that had sinful mourning and then even looked at Jesus mourning at the tomb of Lazarus, a natural mourning. But yet what we realize is that godly sorrow works toward repentance. So when you first have to come, you have to know that, Lord, I need you. And then it is hopefully you say, I need you to help me turn my life around. I need you to help me change my direction. I'm tired of living in the same way that I've always lived. I'm tired of doing the way I've always done. I want to change my direction and I'm acknowledging what I have done. And if you never acknowledge that you need God and you never acknowledge what you have done, and that's why when we looked at the commandments and we looked at some of this, it's that understanding that, wow, Lord, I've fallen short. I need need your mercy, your kindness, your grace, and hopefully it leads us to repentance. Then, of course, blessed are the meek. And that was sort of the third root, was that as it is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness means that of giving up control, of of letting someone else uh, lead and direct and willing to put my life in the Lord's hands and willing to do God's will. As Jesus prayed, not, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done, of willingly submitting to the word of God, of willingly submitting to God's people, the body, because, you know, um, to be a part of the body and uh, is very important uh, most of the time when we get up Uh, our arms don't say, well, you know what? I'm not ready to get up. I'll stay right here in bed for a while. Correct? (laughs) It's like our legs don't go, well, that's not really, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm kind of tired yesterday. You wore me out. I'm going to stay, I'm going to sleep another hour. It's like okay, the body, and then that's why we're being a part of a church, being a part of a body. And I understand we don't all, you know. I, I, I'm. I, you say, well, I don't run, I don't, I don't do this, I don't like. But trying to do our best. Uh, but I'm gonna come by to help. I'm gonna come by to be. I'm gonna come by to encourage. I don't, you know, <clears throat> I'm. You know, I can watch from home on Wednesday. I can do this. I don't have to be there. But you know what? I want to be a part. I'm giving up control. Why? Because the word of God says, forsake not the assembly. And I could go on and on. But you see, that's meekness. To reach that point where you're willing to say, well, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. But maybe I could be a blessing to you see what I'm saying? And that, that turns in to they shall inherit the earth. And then uh, Sunday night, we uh, also started on blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Now that's a, that's that first shoot because now you're not earthbound anymore, but now you're looking toward heaven. You see what I'm saying? So you're, breaking through the ground and you are saying, I am hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. And then it says, for they shall be filled. Now that's an important word in the Greek. We'll talk about it in a moment, but it says the first, what I I want you to understand is these first three are roots that get down into the word of God, get down into uh, me, and they change my attitude, and it changes my way of looking at people, and it changes my, okay? Now I'm reaching up toward God. Now you can't have the reaching up toward God be sustained without having some roots. And Jesus talked about that, of people that, that tried to, and then as soon as a little adversity came, what happened to the plant? Withered and died because it had no, had no roots. It had not allowed the Lord to change their mind, change their heart, change their thinking. And so the plant withered and died. And we've all, here we are on a Wednesday night and we have seen people that have come in and they, man, the presence of the Lord breaks the seed coat, and they are, boom, in one service, it it looked like they've got, man, they've transformed and they shoot a shoot up that they're going to do great. And then the next Sunday you go, where were you? Huh? And it, it hasn't, the transformation is not complete, but that's because they didn't put roots down. And then, therefore, blessed are they which hunger and thirst. So um, it's an intense desire. And I read these verses uh, Sunday night, the last couple of verses here. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of whom God has made unto us wisdom. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What are you saying? I am saying that you, we know that it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. God is made unto us righteousness. I get it. But we should hunger and thirst after more of his righteousness. And Paul went on to say in Philippians, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. The righteousness, which is of God, how? By faith. And that's where it's hard because it's hard to keep believing, Lord, I need your help to change. Knowing that it's his righteousness. Now, Simon Peter said it like this. and Of course, he has the dubious honor of having denied the Lord. And, and uh, cussed when they were trying to put him in a, 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 a group uh, that included the Lord. And he, all of that. And yet, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto what? Righteousness. By whose stripe ye were healed? Not. He didn't say that you should be righteous. course. We would all go, well, you should be righteous. You're trying to live for God. You should be righteous. But he said, we should live unto, pursue righteousness. You, you see, this is a, this is why Paul had to say, I die. There's never a point where you go, yes, Now, I thank God that I'm not as bad as, huh? When I've reached that point, I'm in the ditch on the other side of the road. At all points, I should be realizing, Lord, I need more of your righteousness. And Paul said, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit why because our focus is on him it's not on me and and I know I when I was a kid and you know I would have uh, you know, people, they would go, well, I could never go to your church because you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't, and we had a set of rules and oh boy, you've got to have this rule and you got to have that rule. But if you are focusing on the rules, you've missed it. Our focus has to be on him and getting his righteousness. Our hope is in him. In fact, you know, as the song sang, it's all in him. And you say, well, are you saying that it doesn't matter how you act? No, I am saying that if you are focused on hungering and thirsting after his righteousness, it automatically begins to change what you're doing. Because I start realizing I don't want to displease him. I don't want to do anything to upset him. Because it's all about him. And I I know, you know, well, and, and I've had, you know, I've lived long enough and pastored long enough that, you know, I've had, Heard the stories, whatever you do, don't tell the pastor I'm here. I'm like, man, I'm sorry, but guess what? There was a guy that was checking that it had nothing to do with me. If you're worried about me getting you, you ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, Jesus said, don't worry about those that can punish the body. And so then what people do is say, well, I just don't believe that he minds. Does he say something in the word? You know, I'll look at the word with you. If you really want to know what what does he think. Come ask me, don't I? I won't tell you what I think. I'll tell you as best I can what the word teaches. Because it doesn't matter what I say. And so what happens is people go, well, I just don't think, I, I think. And, and guess who it's all about then? It's all about moi, <laughs> me. Simon said, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory and that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, notice that this verse says, hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. He didn't say, Blessed are the righteous. What did he say? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger. Anybody ever been hungry? I don't want you to to raise your hand. But it's just a natural, normal thing. Right? And he says they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. That word is, could also be interpreted satisfied. So if I am hungering and thirsting after something and I'm never satisfied, then it must not be the righteousness of God. You know, the guy that finally got all of his barns all of his stuff. What happens? Man, I need to get bigger barns. Now, it's nothing wrong with getting a bigger barn, bigger house, bigger garage, bigger storage unit. But what I'm saying is, it's, you're not hungering and thirsting after a blessing, not hungering and thirsting after significance, not hungering and thirsting after, you know, money. Not hungering, but hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He said, but if I just had a little more money, I could do this and I could do that. Be careful where your hunger and thirst is. And Siobhan asked me today uh, in in her lesson, and she's a Becca, and it's, we were on a school lesson, and the teacher used the word when the video was going and she used the word an atheist. I think it was atheist, wasn't it, an atheist? Uh, yeah, you were working with Tegan. You something about an atheist. And Siobhan said, well, Papa, what's an atheist? And so <clears throat> I began to talk to her a moment about what that meant. And I, I explained to her, I said, we're you're sitting here in mom and dad's house and it's a, steel building and it's got steel roof and you can see the beams and there's a light switch there and I said, Siobhan, everything around you was put here with regulations or laws. In other words, the steel manufacturer had regulations on making the steel girders. Making the aluminum roof. There are regulations for electricians. There's regulations for banking. There's regulations for doctors. There's regulations for lawyers. Everything in the world has regulations. Regulations on the construction of a plane. Regulations on the construction of... a highway, doesn't matter, regulations. Why are there laws for everything? Because we would say, well, to restrain the practitioners, in other words, it's not appropriate for a lawyer to come in and do whatever, it's not appropriate for a doctor. There's ethics and regulations, okay? And to protect the consumer or the recipient. Regulations are there to restrain the guy, the builder and to protect the consumer. So that if you put in a heater, a warranty because of the manufacturer, you all understand the concept. And I said, but what an atheist does is says, I don't want to believe in anyone has the authority to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And I said, Siobhan, it's just not feasible. It's not the way the world works. Why? Because if it's all up to what I think, that's like saying the steel manufacturer says, well, I don't think it'll matter if we use whatever gauge steel, huh? And he hadn't been in an Ohio windstorm, right? Oh, I don't think it's, it matters. And he says, well, I'd give you a better price. And, you know, you've heard me say, That President Obama, when we had our major crash a few years ago, got up and preached about sin. He said, what's going wrong with our country is the greed on Wall Street. Well, let me just tell you, that's sin. But let me explain something to you. Regulations bring restraint but they cannot produce righteousness. You still have people that are trying to get around the rules. huh? You'll still have folks that'll try to go, I, okay, I'm restrained, but I don't, does that make sense? So when you think in terms of the law, the law produced a sense of restraint, hopefully. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't... But it doesn't produce a real transformation in the heart. See what I'm saying? And yet, if I humble myself and I'm doing all these things, in my hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Because it's not about who's number one. It's not about what's in it for me. It's not about how can I do more and get, I mean, get more and do less. How can I, how can I, what can I do to cut a corner? What can I do to, you know, I I mean, I hope that my doctor is not in such a need for a raise that he says I'm not going to read the charts I'll just huh and if he does that oh you know families would say we're going to sue him why because he knew better he had regulations And we had a whole system over, you know, police, people that are supposed to be enforcing the law and they're not, they are not following regulations. How are you going to correct those that are supposed to be? Our society doesn't put up with violating some of those regulations. And yet we wonder why God should just do what I think he ought to do. Well, I think he ought to understand. I'm a kind of nice guy. Huh? Oh, wait a minute. By nature, guess what I am? The works of the flesh are these. Let me tell you who you are by nature, by your fleshly nature. That's why we have some regulations. Why? Because we know what's in this the heart of a man. You understand? And it's not that the regulations produce the righteousness. That only comes from God. But I should be asking myself the question, and it should be a burning question in my mind, and what can I do that will bring God honor? That's what I should be asking every day. How can I bring God honor? I can bring him honor by giving that man the what for and pointing him to, oh Lord, huh? And then the next question is, what can I do that is good for others and myself? And and that's an important question. Why? Because love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't, it's not about me laying down my life and well, I'm going to give myself my body to be burned and I'm going to give all my money away and that's so good. That's not good and especially if you're not doing it after humility and You know, you say, well, I'm going to help so-and-so. I'm going to do good for him, but I haven't humbled myself. I'm not seeking his righteousness. Then I'm going to tell you all the good you're trying to do for somebody else is flesh. You understand? The writer said, even if I gave my body to be burned and have not, The love of God, I am worthless. So, I understand there are people that give away money, give away vast sums of money, but it doesn't make them righteous. You can write a check, and if you're watching online, you want to send our church millions, God bless you, we'll take it. We'll put it to use. I, I wish I could tell you that, well, it'll make you righteous, but it won't. Right. What you do is not going to make you righteous. He's the only one. Yes. And so when you say, I'm hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. Now, as I mentioned before, if you don't feel satisfied, you're either hiding behind slothfulness because the Bible talks about that, you know, be <clears throat> being slothful. You know, well, I'm not satisfied. I'm, I don't want to do anything, which is the ultimate selfishness. Slothfulness, when you do nothing, it's the ultimate selfishness. All about me, right? I just don't want to do anything. And I, I'll confess, there have been times I've I thought, you know what? I just don't want to do anything today. I don't want to do anything. It's all about me. I get it. But you can't live there. You've got to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Or you're hungering and thirsting after something that's, that's not his righteousness. If I can't get satisfied, it's like... I'll confess, I was thinking about this this afternoon, and all of a sudden the rolling stones blew through my mind. I can't get, no, (laughs) sorry, I confess, satisfaction, well I try and I try. And all of y'all are spiritual, and you've never heard that. It, It was back when I was, I wish I could say not living for God, but back when I was searching the AM stations. I can't get, no. I'm going to tell you something. They had a great sermon title. Because you can't get any satisfaction in this world outside of Him. You will always be hungry. You will always be thirsty. You will always be needy. If you don't have something, sorry, please forgive me. For those of you who are online, two-thirds of the congregation got up and walked out. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But that's why the writer would say, godliness with contentment. Why? Because this Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, let me explain to you. He is proud. He was talking about people that are doing wrong and doing their own thing. And he said he is proud knowing nothing. Now, why would he say he is proud? Because he doesn't have the first root of humility. Doing, knowing nothing but doing doting questions about questions and strifes of words and I've seen people that, oh, they want to ask you 100 questions and they want to challenge you on this and they want that and they want this. But, then, but it's, it's not out of a sincere heart of hunger. This is why I tell our young people, don't get sucked into answering people on Facebook or Twitter or anything else. If they want to know something, say, meet me at church, meet my pastor, we'll go through a Bible study. Don't follow that because if they're not asking from a sense of humility, guess what? It's all vain. It's not going to last. Oh, and I've had people, you know, and they go, well, why, why does this? And why do you this? And why do you this? And what going on there? And I'm thinking, I'm not going there. It's vanity. Why? There's no sincerity in it. And and Paul was telling Timothy about it. He said strife of words where come envying and strife and railings and evil surmisings and perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. If 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 you're making a lot of money, you must be doing something right. It doesn't mean anything. Thieves can make a lot of money. And he said, from such, withdraw yourself, stay away from. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. And guess what? We're not taking a thing out of it. What are you saying, pastor? I am saying a hunger and a thirst is not abnormal. To hunger and thirst after something Everybody gets hungry. Everybody's been thirsty. But appetites are cultivated. You can hunger, that's normal, but you cultivate your appetite. Let me give you an example. My dad, I don't know if he's in here or not. He's out in the front. There he is, sitting in the back. How many years ago was it? 11 years ago? 15 years ago? We were living We. We're here in Newark, fixing to go to the Philippines and mom flew up to stay with Caitlin and Sheena and got the message. Dad's had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. Guess what? The doctor came in and gave him a whole new diet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? and said, don't eat this, and don't eat that, and don't eat this. And basically, if it tastes good, spit it out. Now you say, does that mean he's never hungry? Well, of course he gets hungry, but he cultivates a different thing to eat. And he'll tell you, well, yeah, I used to love this, but now I I avoid that. Now I don't. Okay? That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise or train yourself unto godliness. What does that mean, that you have to change your appetite? And and I've had people say, oh, I just don't think I could live without, fill in the blank, the right circumstances, the right doctor, huh? Guess what? You can cultivate that appetite. You used to love smoked peppered bacon and two eggs Red eye gravy over grits or whatever. You can learn to appreciate turkey bacon? Huh? Not me. I could never do it. Oh. Never is a long time, and especially if you want to reach never. <laughs> So what are you saying, Pastor? He said, for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having the promise of life is now and that which is to come. So what what does that mean? When somebody tells me, "Oh, well, I don't ever think I could read the Bible that much. I don't think I could go to church that much. I don't think y'all go to church three times a week." Oh Lord, I don't think I could. Oh, I read the Bible every day. Your church wants you to read the Bible. I don't think. Hopefully, you develop a appetite for that. That's why when you come, I'm I'm hoping that everybody goes. Man, I want some. I can't wait to read the Bible. I can't wait to be in the house of the Lord. I can't wait to. So, if the first three roots are not open or active or receiving, then I will have no real, genuine desire for more of God. I can go through the motions, I can sit here, I can clap my hands, I can show up one service, two services all the services, but if I am not actively humbling myself, being in spirit, mourning, you see what I'm saying? I will have no hunger and thirst. There's no way you could have a hunger and thirst after righteousness that is genuine without having the first three roots. So you say, well, how can I hunger and thirst after the Lord. Well, at times, and this is what we do at the first of the year, we have 40 days of fire and we have fast days. And, you know, when we were, we started many years ago, fasting on Wednesday as our family and trying to, you know, set back time on Wednesday was a fast day. Why do you do that? Because that makes you holy? No, it reminds me that I need to have some other appetite. Why do we fast? Why do we go on a Daniel's fast? So that I, it clicks in my spirit. Guess what? I need some other, I, I, something more than food. He said, well, pastor, I don't believe in fasting. I don't believe in, in, in stop. If I want it, I just want it and it doesn't matter. You're going to have a hard time getting a hold of your appetite. Making yourself vulnerable to the needs of others. What do you what do you mean? The, the Bible says love God with all your heart. Then it says love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes it's good to do something for somebody else, and I know we have, and we you you all have been wonderful, and we'll have maybe family from Ukraine, and we people gave out of the goodness of their heart. Why? Because they no one. No one said, you better give. All right, I want to know how many are going to give. We need to raise another money. There's nothing wrong with taking an offering like that. I get it. But hopefully there is, I, I want to be a part of helping them. I want to be a part of helping. And I know. He said, well, I, I saw Brother Odie this week. And, and Brother Odie was telling me a story, bless his heart, He said, after I retired from Owings Corning, I said, I don't ever want to be around old people or go to the nursing home or help any old people. And he said, and Violet told me, you need to get a part-time job. And the job that I found in the newspaper was driving a van or vehicle for a, a home. And he said, but you know what? The Lord was teaching me how to work with people that had dementia and have Alzheimer's because he knew one day my wife would be sitting here. He was making me, sir, I'm I'm just, I didn't tell you. He told me that. Monday or Tuesday I don't whatever day I was there this week why because it is that I am vulnerable to helping someone else the Lord will use that and view blessings and troubles persecutions tribulations as the sauce anybody know what I mean by that My great-grandfather had a bottle of ketchup. It didn't matter what we were eating. Pancakes to pizza, he had a bottle of ketchup. The sauce was everything. I've got a son-in-law that before all of this surgery, he had a bottle of hot sauce. didn't matter what we were eating or barbecue sauce. Some of you all know what I'm talking about—the sauces. It's all in the sauce. Well, sometimes whenever we have some tribulation or trouble, think of it as hot sauce. Hopefully, this is making it go down a little easier, huh? You say, "Well, I, I, I why, why? Because I—it reminds me I need Him." It reminds me I need him. I need him. Remember when I will be totally satisfied. When are you gonna ever get satisfied? Bible tells us, Revelation, seventh chapter, sixteenth verse, I got a vision of heaven. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of them, in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe them. Away all the tears from their eyes. John said it like this. Beloved are now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. If you are living for the day, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever. You start hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. Guess what? You'll be satisfied. See, what happens is people try to get their own and, and somehow we get off track because you know you, you say well I'll never be good enough I'll never be holy enough I'll never I, I understand that that's why the next branch I know my time is about gone but the next branch was blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy means caring about someone else being full of mercy full of And I'm putting here in forgiveness. But I want you to understand you can be merciful without having to forgive. And you can have forgiveness, but you can't have forgiveness without being merciful. What do I mean? The man that went down and found the guy, the Good Samaritan that was fallen among thieves, he had a lot of mercy, but I don't know that he had to forgive him or anything. He didn't have to say, well, I'm sorry you've been mean to me. He just saw a man in need. And Jesus asked which one was the neighbor because he cared for those needs and made provision for future needs. And so when you talk about mercy, the Lord is very merciful in fact, seven times in the book of Exodus, it talks about the Lord, Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and doing this all the way, all the iniquity of the children's children, even unto the fourth and third and fourth generation. He will hold you accountable if you don't have this mercy. If you don't fall on him and absorb his mercy, surely goodness, David said in Psalms 23, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The New Testament in Ephesians, it said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy. So when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's not after our righteousness. It's after his righteousness. The washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, the entire book of Hebrews focuses on the mercy. It says a a high priest who was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's merciful. Paul told Timothy, I obtain mercy. Micah says, what is the Lord required? To do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly. And yet, the Bible is very clear in James. You convert a sinner, you hide a multitude of sins. Notice the Bible didn't say a multitude of crimes. It's hiding a multitude of sins. What are you talking about, Pastor? Pastor? This is why, you know, it's not appropriate. Someone's committed a crime and you go, well, I'm going to just be merciful and I'm going to forgive them. It's not mine to do. If you've committed a crime, I'm sorry. But do our best to cover sin? Yes. <clears throat> but you see, you can have mercy without having forgiveness but forgiveness you have to have mercy but for forgiveness to happen you have to have more than just mercy forgiveness always has a underlying message that somebody is to blame if i walk up to you and say Okay, I forgive you. Your first response is going to be, What did I do? Because if I'm saying I forgive you, then I must be saying you did something. So for forgiveness to happen, a wrong has to be acknowledged. Before forgiveness can happen. And, and uh, you have to listen to me carefully. And I don't, I don't want to get you off track here. But you say, well, and I've had people say, well, if I don't forgive them, then they can't have forgiveness from God. I don't believe that. A person can have forgiveness from God regardless of if anybody forgives them. That comes from God. But for for me, for forgiveness to happen, I have to acknowledge what I have done. You understand? Mercy may have been applied. Someone may be ready to forgive, but if there is no repentance or acknowledgement of guilt, how can there be forgiveness? And if you say, well, I'm going to make them acknowledge by going to them and saying, I forgive you for being mean, you're probably going to end up in a fight. Because if they don't think they were mean, they're going to say, how dare you call me mean? Have you looked in the mirror recently? What are you saying? You remember Saul, Acts, the ninth chapter? He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You've done something wrong, Saul. And Saul said, who are you anyway? All I've been doing is killing a few Christians. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou hast persecuted. And then he goes, well, what will you have me do? David, when he had sinned against Bathsheba, wrote Psalms 51, great song, song of repentance, one that you can read, one that you can pray, you can quote when you've done something wrong. And yet he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to your tender mercy, blot out my transgression. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because you see when wrong is acknowledged and repentance begins, there's already atonement in the bank for it. The blood's been shed. There's money to cover it. But you got to acknowledge that you need it. You got to and and told the story in Luke 15th chapter. You remember the prodigal's out there and he's spending his money. He's in a pig pen. But what? As soon as he came to himself and got up and headed toward the father, he's acknowledging, and he said, and I will say, Dad, I have sinned against you. Make me a servant. The father was there ready to forgive. This is why he said, blessed are the merciful. Jesus himself said to the Jews that were about to crucify him, he said, you're going to seek me when I'm gone, but you're going to die in your sins. Why? Because you have not been willing to acknowledge your need of me. Now you say, well, and, and I'll... I'll stop here. I'll stop with this slide. How do you treat someone who's wronged you and not ask for forgiveness? Well, Jesus goes on in the Matthew, the fifth chapter, and tells us. He says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. So, If someone has done you wrong and they've never asked for forgiveness, they've never acknowledged what they've done, you have to be merciful, love them, pray for them, but you can't truly give them repentance or forgiveness. You understand? You can say, and I've had people say, well, I forgave them even though they never acknowledged it. I I know what they mean. They mean I let it go. You understand? I let go what happened. I quit letting it eat me up. And I get that. But even Jesus did not say from the cross, I forgive you to the soldiers. Because they, weren't, they, had, they didn't feel like they'd done anything wrong. But what did he say? Father, he's praying, Lord, forgive them. And here's a God that could say anything. God could say, let there be light, and there was light. He could say, let there be a sun, moon, and stars, and there was a sun, moon, and stars. But the one thing he couldn't say is, I forgive you until you acknowledge what you've done. And it's, More than just simply saying it, the Lord said, I got to shed some blood. Aren't you thankful for Easter? He said, I'm willing to forgive. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand. I know it's after a few minutes. We'll have next Wednesday, we'll try to finish up, hopefully, these beatitudes. But Lord, I want to be merciful, don't you? I want to have. I, I want to have be pure at heart. I I know there's going to be some sauce. I'm going to get bombarded with something. But you know what? I want to put my roots down deep in His Word and in His Spirit, so that I'll have the strength to endure. Amen. Let's just love it.